0: Welcome to another episode of the Sports Mecca Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Abramo. As always, I'm joined by my partner, Sam Hegeli. Today, we have the opportunity to speak with Mark Neely. He's an American sportscaster who serves as a play-by-play announcer for ESPN College Football, College Basketball, and several other sports. Mark, we appreciate the time today once again. Stephen, Sam, good to be with you guys. For sure. Just like I mentioned, we're so glad to have you on to start. Recently, the NCAA softball tournament concluded. I know that you were able to cover some games to start. Talk about how it was calling those games and thoughts on how it played out.
1: So I do a lot of college softball and college baseball during the spring. Uh, and so with softball, these, the regionals were at the end of May. So I had the regional at Seattle, which uh, was hosted by the University of Washington. Texas was the team that actually came out of there, and they wound up going all the way to the uh, championship series of the Women's College World Series. The next weekend after that, I had the super regional at Stanford, uh, which was Oregon State, uh, and Stanford, which uh, Oregon State won. So they went to the Women's College World Series. Uh, The following weekend, when Women's College World Series got going, that's when I switched back to baseball. So I went down to Austin. And the University of Texas hosted a regional, which uh, had uh, four teams, including Air Force, uh, Texas, Louisiana Tech was there. Went the baseball, saw Texas, they won their regional. And now I'm at a, at a point uh, in the summertime where until college football gears back up, uh, I get some time off. So it's nice to be back home. I'm based in the Kansas City area, like you guys. and uh, just enjoy the summertime, even though it's uh, hot as Hades here. So that's the way it goes in the Midwest sometimes. Mm-hmm.
0: What were your thoughts on Oklahoma repeating? They played Texas in the national championship, and they throttled them, and they had 41 of their wins this season were based on run rules. So maybe talk about how they were able to dominate.
1: It was kind of anticlimactic, I thought, Stephen, especially because they were far and away the best team in college softball this year, repeating as national champions had the best team as far as pitching, defense, offense, of the home run queen Jocelyn Allo, uh, among many other star players. And not to get too far off subject, but uh, Alex Tarako, who's a great pitcher from Michigan, just announced yesterday that she's transferring from Michigan to Oklahoma. So now Oklahoma softball kind of just builds on itself where with the transfer portal now, they can just continue to bring in players and recruit and, and stay uh, the heavyweight program in softball. But I thought it was pretty much given once the season got going and, and OU softball was playing as well as they were, it was, it was OU and everybody else. And the fact that uh, OU even lost once in the Women's College World Series, I, I you know, was a little surprised by that, that they didn't just run the table. But it kind of become, I, you guys probably remember when UConn women's basketball just dominated the sport like a, a 10 year period and maybe even a little more than that, where it was just UConn every year you went into the women's college basketball season. you thought Yukon's UConn's a favorite. They're probably going to win. And a lot of those years they did win. I think OU is kind of beginning a, a stretch like that. Uh, they've, you know, I forget what it is now. They've obviously won back to back, but I've won something like four in the last decade or less. So uh, they're, they're the program that,
0: that everyone wants to emulate right now. Very interesting, you attended the University of Missouri and graduated from the University of Kansas. Do people ever give you a hard time for going to both schools? They don't these days. When I did
1: it way back in the day, uh, I, I mainly, I didn't catch flack, but I, I think i it was more amazement uh, when I left Missouri because I, I was in my, I finished my first semester of my junior year at Missouri, so that means I spent five semesters at Missouri and just three at Kansas. But the reason I did, I grew up in the St. Louis area. Mizzou's got a terrific journalism school, went to Mizzou. And when I was studying journalism, two things changed. One was when I went to Mizzou, I thought I would want to be a news anchor. And after attending one city council meeting, I'm like, yeah, yeah, this this is not for me. I'd much rather work in the toy department, that being sports, uh, when it comes to media. And got involved with sports. And at Mizzou, back then they owned and still do, they own the NBC TV affiliate in Columbia, Missouri. So you could go on as part of the J school and anchor the sports, uh, which I did. And it was okay, but I knew I wanted to be acting and doing play by play. Uh, And Mizzou did not have that part of the journalism school developed at that time. You know, I asked around, I want to do play by play. What do I do? And the comment was, "Oh, go go grab a tape recorder, go to Columbia Hickman or Rockridge High School or something, and just call a football game into the tape recorder." And I'm like, "Okay, then what? Who do I take it to? Who at the schools don't play by play?" I couldn't find anybody, and they're like, "Well, that, that's got to be pretty rare." And I said, "Well, no, maybe not." Uh, so back then, this is pre-Twitter and even fledgling days of the internet to find the schools that had that uh, a play-by-play person. One was Kansas, very well-known professor still around, Tom Hedrick, doing great in his eighties. Uh, who I still talk to, who's play-by-play announcer. Not only did the Royals and Chiefs, he did the first Super Bowl for the Chiefs, did Texas Rangers. A great play-by-play career uh, before winding up as a professor at Kansas. So he, there was a play-by-play guy there, and there was a play-by-play class. So I'm like, that's what I want to do. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna transfer. And all my Bazoo friends were like, you're going where? I'm, like, I'm going to Kansas, and I'm like, look, I'm not going there to play. Basketball, you know, I'm going there to get an education. So this is pre-transfer portal, obviously. Now, when guys can shift between schools and, and basically there's free agency in sports now. Tom Hedder uh, really helped me jumpstart my career as soon as I was done at Kansas to go right into minor league baseball and, and start from there. I don't know if I'd have been able to do that had I stayed at Missouri at the time. Now, still love Missouri, love Kansas, which sounds strange for one person to say those statements together. Uh, but I have great friends still went to both schools and are part of both schools. Uh, Mizzou has since then put a play-by-play segment together and a lot of great play-by-play people have have come out of Missouri as well.
0: Right. Now, you just mentioned for a little bit you were able to cover some minor league teams, clubs such as the Boise Hawks, Salem Avalanche, Louisville Redbirds. Talk about the experience of going to cover these minor league teams and then how much... How much did covering those teams teach you as a broadcaster? Uh, It was the best
1: thing for me to do, especially right out of school. What it forces you to do in minor league baseball, number one, 99% of the games were on radio. Occasionally, you would have a television game back then uh, in the minor leagues, not often. And usually, you're doing the games by yourself. So, you're responsible for equipment, setting it up every day, doing the pregame interview, doing everything, doing the play-by-play by yourself in baseball, which I think is the hardest thing to do. I think the two hardest sports to do play-by-play on baseball because there's so much dead time uh, between pitches, and it really teaches you how to develop a pacing for play-by-play, know when the exciting parts are, and kind of pace yourself. The other the other sport is hockey, where you have to really know everything that's going on, and it's, an ex- it's the opposite of baseball. It's an extremely... Fast moving sport and guys like Doc Emmerich. I grew up in St. Louis when Dan Kelly was there, who I thought was the greatest hockey announcer ever. Th- those two sports, baseball on radio and hockey on radio, I think are the toughest to do just because one's quite frankly so slow and one's so fast. So, learning baseball on radio in the minor leagues, and being on the buses and being on all the road trips and doing that for as many years as I did really made me self sufficient. Where from that point on, I, I never really was intimidated by anything whatever sport it was that I would do later because I knew I could do that and I could do, I could carry a broadcast.
0: Like you mentioned, grew up in St. Louis. How much St. Louis Cardinals broadcast did you listen to? And I know Jack Buck was a big broadcaster back in the day. Um, Did you Mm -hmm. learn from him or or just learn by listening to him and just pick up on a lot? Uh, Both. Uh, Grew up
1: listening to Jack Buck. Uh, he certainly was the guy, Harry Carey was there before me, ironically, Harry Carey's grandson, Chip Carey, has been the longtime broadcaster for the Braves. He and I went to high school together, exact same age. So I grew up with Chip. When I saw Harry Carey, he was doing Cubs at the time, never knew him when he was with the Cardinals. That was before my time, but with Jack Buck, that's who I grew up listening to. One of my minor league stops was in Louisville, Kentucky for the Cardinals triple A team at the time. And Jim Kelch is the lead announcer, but there was a number two announcer. And the number two job was originally created for Joe Buck. And Joe did it one year. He left, went basically straight to the St. Louis Cardinals. Todd Callis, the son of Harry Callis, longtime announcer for the Philadelphia Phillies and other teams. who's no longer with us. Uh, his son, Todd, did it for a year. And then I came in and did it for three years. Uh, but Joe would come back. So we we would see Joe. We'd go down to spring training for the Cardinals. He was in St. Petersburg at the time. And that's when I got to meet Jack personally. and get to know Jack, and Jack's like, hey, if you want me to listen to your tapes, we'll do it. And I'm like, yeah, yeah done. So he did that for us to a fault. I, I, early in my career, if I went back and listened to, to tapes, it was basically me trying to do my best Jack which is which is something I don't recommend for broadcasting. Yes, you can use the tools that the person that you really like and have enjoyed listening to your whole life growing up they're them and you're you, you have to bring your own personality to it. And it took me a number of years to do that. Cause I remember one time, uh, I, I sent a tape to a different broadcaster who said, yeah, you sound great, but it sounds like you're doing Jack Buck. And then that was the moment I'm like, yeah, I've got to be more like myself, but having access to Jack because of my uh, friendship with Joe Buck
0: was one of the great things early on
1: in my career to be able to, to actually, uh, be around jack at that time he's one of the all-time greats
0: what is it like to uh to talk to joe buck we almost crossed paths uh during the
1: pandemic during the the pandemic a couple of years ago uh, the louisville triple a team decided to do a podcast of the different announcers that had been there and and they, they split it up into two segments and i thought I was going to be on the segment with joe we catch up but i actually wound up on the different segments so didn't chat with Joe then. At some point, hopefully, we'll we'll visit because Joe, of course, grew up in St. Louis like I did. He went to John Burroughs High School. I went to a public school, Parkway West. Uh, so he still lives in St. Louis, uh, though I have not lived in St. Louis for many years. So hopefully I get that chance to, to reconnect with Joe. It's, it's been a number of years.
0: Now, since 2001, you've had the opportunity to cover the Little League World Series. For Sam and I, you know, we've, we've only been able to watch the College World Series on TV, you know, how does it feel as a broadcaster to cover these young athletes? And then also, have you been able to keep track on some of them as they've been able to maybe develop into the, maybe as professionals? The, the one that really sticks out in my mind is I remember a 12-year-old Cody Bellinger,
1: uh, when I was doing the, that was the, what been the West Regional in San Bernardino, California, which the winner of the West Regional didn't get fed to Williamsport. Uh, and I remember Cody Bellinger being there. Nick Prado, who is uh, a draft pick of the Royals, who's on his way up right now with Kansas City. I remember Nick also from San Bernardino when he was there with the Huntington Beach team. It's one of my favorite things to do for, for several different reasons. Yes, they're, they're 11, 12, 13-year-old year kids. There's great competition. It's just a more freer. You think back to your when you were 11 or 12 years old playing playing baseball. Certainly not at that level did I, but it, there's just a freedom to it and a liberation. And you see the kids that are just playing it for the love of the game. And uh, I, I really enjoyed all the times I've had doing uh, the, the little league games for ESPN. It's uh, and, and I'll say this from a standpoint: the little league games when they're on, if they're matched up against even a major league baseball game on ESPN. Usually they outrate the major league, little league baseball. People keep asking, you know, ESPN. They keep doing little league. Yeah, they keep carrying it. Number one because it's a good affiliation to be with little league, but number two because it rates extremely well. Viewers connect. They connect with the numbers
0: of viewers uh, with, with little league. It's it's amazing. Now, obviously, we can't go too far into the podcast without mentioning about your time um, covering college basketball, college football. You do that every year. What would you say, out of all the years that you've been covering it, has been your favorite game? And has there been a specific athlete that you enjoyed covering the most? Wow, there's been so many uh, in, in both of those sports for the last eight, nine,
1: ten years. I've been almost exclusively Big Twelve men's basketball. So everybody that's come through there, uh, I, I've seen at some point in the last ten years. I mean, all the great players that you know, Kansas has had so many that. The year that Trey Young was at OU, when that was a complete sensation around the country, where really we as ESPN, as the network, we we kind of, we we didn't pump the brakes on Trey Young. We put a lot of focus on Trey. It really rode him for uh, a lot of ratings uh, that year that he was playing for OU. Uh, From a college football standpoint, there's so many, but I've been fortunate from a college football standpoint to do all the different conferences and all the Power Five conferences. I don't think there's any of the big stadiums that I've missed. You know, that's hard to uh, to be, uh, you know, whether you're at Penn State or Michigan or in the SEC at Alabama or wherever. There's a hundred thousand people, you know, in the seats at a college football game on a Saturday. That that that's that's a really cool environment. But uh, Big Twelve basketball, you know, with, with the talent, the last two national champs are both from the Big Twelve, and Texas Tech was in overtime in the title game three years ago. So the Big Twelve really had a nice uh, Nice run here. I remember Kevin Durant's first game in Texas. Uh, Frank Priscilla and I did Durant's first two games in college. Uh, they were done. They were, we did them in Austin. And I'll never forget that after his first collegiate game, Rick Barnes, then the head coach in Texas, uh, we were talking to him after the game. I'm like, hey, yeah, what's you think of Kevin. And he's like, I just wore his rear end out in the locker room.
2: Just aired him out because his defense is so bad.
0: Yo, there are many events coming up in the world of sports.
2: It'd be great to be in attendance for such. Where can we get tickets? SeatGeek. You see, SeatGeek is an app that can help you find the best seats with the best deals. SeatGeek shows you different tickets available with green being the best deals and red not being the hot deals. The best part is it shows you where you'll be sitting at the event. If you use the code Mecca, you could get $20 off your first purchase. Get your seat at SeatGeek today nice uh so uh mark uh, so last couple years uh a lot of games had no fans in the crowds or and the broadcasters would be from their home the 21-22 season we finally saw, started to see full capacity crowds again talk about what it's like uh commentating from your home and then what was it like being back in the uh, packed arenas
1: this past january about midway through the month after that really bad uh, Omicron wave started to, to, to pass through, uh, we, we started going back on site in the Big 12 games for most of our, our games. There were a few that we would still do from home, but it was great to get back in the arenas and, and be a part of that because you just you don't take it for granted anymore. Uh, number one, the at-home situation was beneficial uh, in two ways, one was we were still able to do games, even though we weren't on site, it wasn't uh, the most ideal way to do a game still isn't the ideal part uh, is when the game's over <laughs> mm-hmm. you uh, for me at my at home kid is down in the basement, I just walked upstairs and I was home, you didn't have to worry about getting up early in the morning, maybe catching a flight, you know, trying to get home. That was the nice thing about the at home, everything else uh, I can do without because I think it's disingenuous to the viewer. Uh, If you're not on site now I understand why we do it and why we did it through the pandemic, but the big events you got to have announcers on site. Uh, i'll finish it with this, though, the at home model is not going to go away completely it's still going to be used from now on on all networks, not just ESPN for certain gains uh, because. All of us, the announcers at ESPN they sent us all the at home kits which were cameras laptops monitors. I connect into the internet to get this all done. And we all still have those. You know, they haven't asked for them back. So it, it's still here. So the at home uh, model isn't completely dead. It's, it never will be. And third,
2: in the 21 uh, 22 uh, basketball season, what was your most memorable game that you commentated?
1: Chris Beard's return to Texas Tech. Uh, Chris Patola and I had that game for ESPN, and it was just a completely different environment than you're used to. We you certainly are used to hostile environments. You know, I've had Kansas at West Virginia, or Kansas at different. You know, at Oklahoma State, for the most part, struggled uh, quite a bit uh, at times. Or, or the teams that come into Allen Fieldhouse. You know, this the way the crowds are uh, for visiting teams.
0: But, but, but it was a
1: different kind of vitriolic just throwing it at Chris Beard because the fans uh, are are, (laughs) they're not going to forget Chris Beard. Uh, walking away from Texas Tech, despite the fact that he really built up the program and did some awesome things for Texas Tech basketball and had them within one basket, really, of winning the national championship, which is incredible in itself. But that night, uh, and, and even the night before, uh, Chris and I were there the day before for the team practices. And when Texas and Beard got there the night before at the United Supermarkets Arena in Lubbock, there were students and fans camped outside and they followed the bus toward the ramp. Uh, and then it carried over the next day for the shoot-arounds about four or five hours before the game. There were, there were policemen in the arena with us. Uh, this is before they let fans in, obviously. And it was very unusual. And just, I don't think the Texas Tech fans, you know, went over the line We were worried about that you know, how crazy are they going to get because they, they were selling tickets uh, on the secondary sites for like $2,000 piece to go to this game in lubbock texas so it was one that all the red
2: raider fans had marked on the calendar
1: and they didn't disappoint it, it was an atmosphere that i'll never forget
2: yeah absolutely and i i thought about like because i was at the old miss tennessee game last october and <laughs> when lane kiffin's return and that got like really out of hand mostly because the way the game was happening and the con- there's some controversial officiating so that's when I, like, turned into that game, and I'm, like, wondering what if, like, the officiating, like, makes a big mistake, like, later in the game, and then, like, what if, like, Texas wins on a close game, like, how that's going to all play out. <laughs> like, can't wait for K versus Texas Tech when Kevin McCuller makes his return to Lubbock, and that definitely be a really interesting crowd that day, too. Yeah, it, it's, it,
1: you know, it's something that I, I, it's still hard, saying for me to kind of get my arms around it is – I understand the transfer portal, which, if we take the chronology of this, it really kind of opened up when they allowed grad transfers to go without having to sit out. And then it just kind of snowballed to the point where the NCAA at this point is basically saying, well, you you cried about this and that for so many years. And now the NCAA has just kind of gone like this, like, you know, we're almost like we're, we're out and you can do whatever you want. Where now it needs some legislation. But seeing players transfer. Inside the conference is still pretty strange for me, and you know I, maybe, maybe it's not for others.
2: Yeah, very exciting, uh, very exciting times for uh, Kansas basketball. During the season, you get to call games with different many partners: uh, Fran Freshella, mm-hmm. Chris Patola, Lance Blanks, and then King McClure. Uh, what's it like being around those guys, and how much knowledge have you uh, developed over time uh, working with different partners and different perspectives?
1: Just so many great guys and so talented at at what they do. Fran's a legend in the Big 12. So traveling around with him doing Big 12 games is always fun because the fans love to interact with Fran. He likes to interact back with them, it's it's a good rapport. Um, You know, I learned a little bit from, or sometimes a lot from all of them. Uh, Everybody has their own style, just little nuances on air. The, The funny thing about what we do for a profession, broadcasting, if you just take a microphone and put it in, some, in front of somebody's face, the average person all of a sudden turns into something else. It, it, they do something that's unnatural to who they really are. And the funny thing about broadcasting is you get into the business and you, for years, try to find your true self and get back to just who you are away from the microphone and, and, and off camera. Uh, and the guys that do that well, that are just themselves, are the ones that seem natural and i think that people enjoy watching for the most part and all those guys you know they, they have that but everybody's got their little nuances uh of how they like to call games tv is an analyst-driven medium we talked about doing radio before that's the play-by-play announcers medium, where you have to be the eyes and ears for everybody that's listening and the analyst kind of picks his spots to jump in it's really kind of the opposite for television it, your play by play person's main job is to make the analyst feel comfortable comfortable enough that they're able to interject their knowledge in the right spots at the right times. Uh, but TV is a, is a, is an analyst meeting. You, you gotta have a, gotta have one. You gotta have a good one in the
2: big 12 and we've got a lot of them. Yeah. Have you ever commented a game with Bill Walton before?
1: I, I've not done a game with Bill Walton. I, I've come across Bill a number of times when I lived in San Diego, I went to, would come out to some Padre games uh, as well. And we do have, Seminars for different sports, like for college football and college basketball, where all the announcers will get together. He, he's an unusual uh, cat, and you know? I don't think that's you know saying anything that nobody wouldn't know just just by watching Bill. He, he's a unique guy. I think there's some people who uh, see and hear Bill that don't know Bill, and you know is that you know is that real? You know that that's really him. So that that that's what I was just saying just a minute ago. Broadcasting, you try to become who you are, your real self off camera. And that's Bill. And, that, you know, whether you like him or don't like him, the way he does call the game, that that's his unique authentic
0: self. Did Bill Walton ever get a chance to give you a Grateful Dead t-shirt? <laughs> no no Grateful Dead t-shirt. Not been
1: blessed with that. I know he's, he's, he's a big Grateful Dead guy, among many other things in that genre. So.
2: Tom and Taylor Fran, for sure. What was like one memorable moment that you got to have a uh, comment with them.
1: I had to sit down and, and, and think about that one, Sam. So when we had the Kansas at West Virginia game, so this would have been in uh, the early part of 20 uh, before everything shut down. So Kansas is at West Virginia. Fran and I are doing the game. And Bill Self's second granddaughter had just been born the night before. So Bill was in a really good mood. I mean, I, the one thing about Bill that I've noticed uh, of all the years, and I've known Bill all the way back to his time at Tulsa, uh, how much he he loves his family, and the, the two granddaughters he has now are, are the lights of his life. So when his second granddaughter was born, that was a big deal. Ben Roethlisberger was sitting just to our right for the game. He had come down for the game uh, with his wife, and and they were watching the game. And Kansas, very, you know, they they really struggled to win at at West Virginia. They won that game uh so that game kind of sticks out just because it was one it wasn't long before the the uh, the pandemic shut everything down and we never got to see if that Kansas team would have been good enough to to win the national championship
2: yeah absolutely uh, speaking of uh Kansas and the big 12 uh, last two seasons of course Kansas just won the national championship and then Baylor won the national championship and of course Texas Tech uh the tournament before the <laughs> got canceled uh Went to the national title game, went into overtime. So almost three consecutive national championships from the conference. And since 2016, a team from the Big 12 has made the Final Four and four the last tournaments. 2017 is the last time that the Big 12 did not have a participant in the Final Four. Covering the Big 12, uh, what has made this league so great and so dominant for the past uh, four to five years?
1: The caliber of coaches, the Hall of Fame coaches, uh, Bob Huggins is now going to be the most recent one that, that's going to go into to the Hall of Fame. The coaching is what makes it. Even though I mean, we we went quite a long time with really not much turnover. I remember when Jamie Dixon came in and took over at his alma mater at CCU uh, for Trent. That that was you know was something. that I know, must have been what six or seven years ago now, mm-hmm. and it, it hadn't been much movement at all until Lon Kruger retired. Uh, Steve Prohm let go. Berger came in did really well. So there's been a little bit of turnover recently, but but it's been the caliber of coaches. And, you know, even some of the coaches that were in briefly and left at Tech, you know, you had Tubby Smith, who had won a national championship at Kentucky. For me, it starts and ends there. Just the, the coaches are, are so good in the Big 12.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, Kansas State getting Jerome Tang now. So another mm-hmm. great coach in a great conference. I also want to mention, uh, so starting in 23 and 24, a Big 12 will have uh, four new teams in, and then, of course, Oklahoma and Texas will be departing for the SEC. How do you see this conference uh, being effective in uh, football and, and basketball with the uh, four new teams going to be coming in?
1: Football will be a big change, no question, because Oklahoma's been the dominant team uh, for so long in the conference. So then moving to the SEC, Will be intriguing just to see how well they do. Now I I'm disappointed to see them and, and Texas leave. You know, Texas has obviously had some issues uh, ever since Matt Brown left on the football side. They have they have not lived up to expectations. Uh, so we'll, we'll we'll see about that. Losing OU and Texas are, are, are a big loss for the conference. Joe Castiglione, the athletic director at Oklahoma, I think nobody does the the job of AD better than he does. You, you got to look out for your school. I think the only thing that I say the only thing, one of the main things that upset the other teams in the conference was how it came, came out of the blue. There obviously had been talk between Oklahoma and Texas and the SEC for a while before the other big 12 teams found out. And I think that, you know, that, that was a little bit of dirty pool. A lot of the schools are probably holding a grudge uh, about that. I'll be disappointed because I really like the layout of the conference selfishly where I'm able for basketball season, I can drive to all the schools except for West Virginia and the Texas schools are usually out of Kansas City, one-stop flight, except to Lubbock I got to connect through through Dallas. Uh, so it's an easy flight. But now, you know, Houston won't be too bad, but Orlando, Cincinnati, it'll be a little different. And then BYU, you know, that's going all the way out to, to Utah. It's going to change the footprint of the conference as far as stretching it out. You know, for somebody like me who likes to travel to schools that he can drive to, and what nobody is saying right now, so when next year, when Cincinnati and UCF, Houston and BYU all come in, I, I don't think Oklahoma and Texas are going to be a part of that. That's just my personal opinion. I don't have any inside information on that. I think something will happen where OU and Texas will buy their way out. I, I think this football season will be the last for OU and Texas in the Big 12. That's just my own personal opinion.
2: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. If they did stay, there would be 14 teams in the conference. And mm-hmm. I think that would just be like a little bit too much. I don't think OU and Texas would want that. And I think a lot of other teams in the conference probably don't want to play a 14-team league. And I think for on a basketball standpoint, getting Kelvin Sampson back in the Big 12 is going to be mm-hmm. a massive, another great coach. Obviously, he was at Oklahoma throughout the like late 90s, early 2000s. T- Mid, early to mid-2000s. It's going to be great to have him back, in those Houston Cougars teams just going to make basketball tougher. And then football-wise, I mean, BYU has been a successful program. UCF was undefeated a couple times. Cincinnati just made the playoff, and Houston is a pretty decent school. So football-wise, I think it gets uh, better despite losing OU and Texas. But I definitely concern, the biggest concern, I think, is losing OU in Texas and the whole revenue thing for the schools. And maybe there could be a point where, like a, like, a, like, a Kansas or, like, an Iowa State maybe want to leave to, like, get more money out of, like, the Big Ten or another conference.
1: UCS for great. Cincinnati, heck, they were knocking on the door of, of getting into the playoff. BYU, whether that's their time in the West Coast Conference or now as an independent going to the Big 12, they, they've always been very competitive and great teams. You make a great point about, about Kelvin Samson. He's become one of my favorite people, and I I, I didn't see much of Kelvin. I, I came into the conference right about the time Kelvin was let go at Oklahoma. Did see him at Indiana for a couple of years uh, out of the Big Ten, but I, it's in a perfect situation for him. I think Kelvin is somebody that uh, is in the perfect spot. He's, he's comfortable. He's he's in the place he wants to finish his career. He's put some really great teams together. He's still a great recruiter, and you know, and not to condone. You know what what were nca infractions at the time but what he lost his job for uh you know back in the day uh at oklahoma and in indiana and stuff those things are not violations now you know it doesn't doesn't forgive it but you know it's mm-hmm. not like he was caught paying players and this or that which you know, there's a whole other story in itself you can ask uh, Nick Saban about that apparently he knows more about that.
2: <laughs> for sure it's uh, it'll be great to have him back in the conference and i think uh It'll be fun to like travel. It'd be fun to travel to like Florida and uh, Utah and Houston. I think those are all great places to visit. Cincinnati, another one, would be another great place to check out too.
1: Yeah, I've actually had football at all those places in the past, so they won't be new for me. But you're right, UCF—they've been outstanding, and that's that's Orlando. And and being Disney employees, ESPN, that, that always means that you can stop by Disney World and bring the family down and make a big trip of
0: it.
2: Yeah, absolutely
0: well mark we really appreciate you taking the time some really good insight about the big 12 i didn't expect some some big 12 insight but you provided some really good content we've you know we've been listening to to you we've been listening to big 12 sports for years with both sam and i in kansas and when we remember when the big 12 had the two different divisions the north and the south we've always enjoyed that conference because you know we live here we've when we, we enjoy watching the different schools, but obviously we enjoy watching, watching and listening to your coverage of all the different college sports throughout the years. We really appreciate the time. You know, you did such a great job. Much appreciated. I'll, I'll add one last thing here. You
1: mentioned Kansas. This, this would be off air because usually we, we, we don't cover this uh, directly, but I've called the game. I almost had it this year because I had the, the TCU game. and They didn't, they didn't clinch a share until they won the overtime game against texas in the regular season but three or four times i have had kansas at home where they clinched the regular season title uh, or at least the share of it so when that game concludes you know normally we toss it to another game kansas and bill self they bring out all the trophies they talk with the seniors on the team it's a big production and i tell you man it it gives me goosebumps the the three times that i've been there And, and again it's We're off air at the time, so you're able to kind of let your guard down. And being that I do have a a connection to Kansas, uh, I'll never forget those and and would love to see some more. I was hoping to be able to do that again. They they lost at TCU, uh, which I had that game as well, which kind of put them behind the eight ball with with Baylor, and then they they beat TCU uh, in Lawrence, but then had to beat Texas. So I didn't see it this year, but for Jayhawk fans that have seen that, it's really special. When they clinch a regular season, it's such a big deal. And they, they get the microphone out and players talk and Bill talks and it's, it's a really cool thing.
0: Absolutely. Yep. And now they get to talk about the national championship that they, that they <laughs> won. Um, Late Night in the Fog will be very exciting this year because they'll be unveiling the banner for 2022. Once again, Mark, really appreciate the time. Glad that we're able to make this happen. You know, we look forward to hearing your voice on college football games this fall. Even Sam, my uh, fellow Kansas City residents, uh,
1: it's a pleasure to get on with you in chat sports.
0: For those who are listening to our show for the first time, all our past and future episodes are available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at The TheSportsMecca.